This is Vaya con Muñoz with Natalia Muñoz. WHMP. Welcome, everybody. One of the topics that we don't hear much about anymore is what's going on in Afghanistan. And today we're, I'm always just so happy uh, to speak with Dan Torres because he knows in detail so much about so much. And when it comes to international or uh, issues, Dan is very well versed in, in that. So Dan, even though there hasn't been a any recent article and broadcasted or online about Afghanistan, the little that I have read in the last six months is that everything is as it ever was before the invasion of the United States. And then that raises the question of why does the United States or how is it possible that the United States keeps making the same mistakes again and again, thinking it can conquer Vietnam, thinking it can conquer Iraq, it can conquer Afghanistan and other countries, among other countries. Yeah, uh, it's a, it's a complicated situation because what you bring up is uh, the situations where the U.S. Um, went invaded a country, but it leaves and after it left, uh, a new force arrives and the situation of the country is now worse than even when the United States, who was propping up a local government, was in charge of Afghanistan. I will say this, the, new, the Washington Post has an article published yesterday talking about a new report, talking about violence against women are rampant under the Taliban. Uh, the truth is, you know, uh, when we think about that, was it really so much better nine <laughs> right. months ago? You know, right. so, but, but it, it does get slowly worse. It is regressing, I think is the argument yeah. one can make. It is yeah. slowly being taken away. You yeah. know, a couple months ago, I saw that there was an article about um, women who were on television who had to give up their jobs uh, to, to men. And they were essentially sent instructions by the government, hey, on this date, you must hand over your job to, to these men. And you know, for the Taliban, the way I would look at it is you have a very conservative wing and then you have maybe some more relative moderates. And there's always a feud within the organization to try to see what can they piece together. So this isn't the Taliban of the 90s. Um, exactly. I mean, they're still probably of the nineties and the two thousands, Dan. Because I know what you're saying. You're, I know the yeah. line that you're 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 trying to draw here between a different generation of Taliban. But basically, they still believe the core beliefs are the same. Uh, and sure, there 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 are many families like that of um, oh my goodness, the name of the girl. Um, who wrote a book? Malala. Who, yeah, Malala. Yeah, I'm sure there are tons of families that also support their girls to study. Yeah, um, I mean, she was shot by the Taliban. Right. Um, yeah, and that was. Pakistan. I mean, I was in Pakistan, if I'm not mistaken. So, I wasn't yeah, in Afghanistan necessarily. But yeah, I. It's I, the Taliban I, well, philosophy. 
What? Yeah, but let me let me flip a and, question. Oh, okay, here. before you do that though, but I, I also want to address that crime against women has increased under the Taliban. I have to say, well, maybe they can measure that more now, but violence against women in this specific country by the Taliban has been brutal from the very beginning and, and has always been at a high. You know, when you learn that women tell young girls to prepare that one day they're going to be raped, but that's part of your upbringing. Like, you know how there's the talk for black people in the United States? Well, that's the talk for girls in Afghanistan. And so go ahead with, with your, your I mean, thought. What I want question. to say about that is, you know, from everybody I've talked to who've actually been in Afghanistan, they talk about it, it being a complicated situation for women, depending where they're from. If they're from more of the urban areas, the capitals in Kabul, depending who their parents are, depending also on their family, you know, the, ethnic, the ethnicity, because uh, there's Afghanistan is actually a very diverse place. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's, it's complicated in, in so many racial, you know, uh, ethnic uh, family connections would really define you. If you lived in a real rural sector, maybe nothing has changed. It has always been oppressive. And I think, for a lot of women who are living in uh, larger metropolitan areas and if their parents had a little bit of money and they could send them to the university, life was better when the United States and the, and the Afghan government were in charge, the, the national government before the Taliban. So it's, it's not a simple, I think, answer as, as you can make. Uh, you know, I mean, it's right. It's women have, have felt, uh, oppressed, I think. But even then, even then, you know, when women were studying at university, I mean, we, we know this, women are always being uh, yeah. assaulted, uh, sexually assaulted, not just verbally. Yeah. And I just don't think that things were, I don't, I don't, maybe yes, for a brief period, families of a certain class, whatever class that is, of certain income, uh, and as you mentioned, with certain connections lived better than others. But that right there is because for others, like you said, nothing has changed. And then these other very few people who were selected by their connections to United States government, to a, I don't know who, the military, yeah. got to live more normalized, normalized by Western standard lives. Sure. But I think there's some universal values uh, that women would appreciate. You know, I'm sure being attacked, you know, is not a wet, you know, what I mean, like physically attacked, not even just assaulted. I mean, I think that's a universal concept that uh, is pretty standardized today. But, mm -hmm. I, you know, I'll, I'll flip it on you and say, okay, the United States, what lessons should they learn? I mean, it's it, what lesson did they learn is, is even a difficult answer because a lot of women, and you will hear them, talk about how things were slightly better when the national Afghan government were around and the United States was essentially hold propping up that government, which essentially collapsed after the Taliban. I mean, so some people are probably hoping to uh, um, that, you know, the Taliban leave and one day they can have what they previously had, but that required US military forces and boots and and on the ground and a very weak central government. I mean, 
you know so it's it's uh it's almost the case one could make is to say see the united states should have stayed longer but is that really the answer you know what i mean is, right. is that is that because it's not a sustainable government locally right if the united states unlike other times where it has done in history germany or japan they eventually well did they leave they eventually leave the national government to run the country there's still bases in those countries right but they have and they're very they influential have, in those countries they are and they are and they are and they're you can't really compare them to afghanistan uh, for a bunch of different reasons right but i think but i think the united states um did provide some improvements in lives. I think you'll look at literacy rates were improvement, educational attainment for women were certainly improved. Is it is it uh, a perfect oasis of no. beauty? No way. It wasn't. And the problem was that they never got the government to be stable enough to say we can leave this government alone. They thought they had spent enough money, but the government didn't last. Three oh, it was weeks, there was so much no, there was so much corruption. There was so much corruption. People became oh, millionaires oh, overnight. They stole yeah. money. Americans too. And is that the yeah, Afghans yeah. didn't have anything to begin with? Oh yeah. No, it was yeah. a money making. It became its own industry. Yeah, and that and that is well published. I mean, you can read the yeah. there are inspector general reports of the Afghanistan war that were published months before. Uh, Biden eventually removed the troops that were talking about exactly what you said, corruption, oh. just robbery. And we're talking tens of billions of dollars yeah. just vanished. Well, in uh, part, that may be why the comedian Kathleen Madigan, if they once proposed the United States should just then invade Detroit and other distressed areas in the country, because if you're going to pour that many millions and billions into a place, do it at home, learn how to do it, learn how to funnel that money, and then go venture out and see if you can rebuild a thousands and thousands and thousands year old a series of nations. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I, I- Crazy idea. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it's, a you know, attempting to impose your vision of how their society should function doesn't work. But that said, you know, I think there are ways to build up relationships mm -hmm. in local societies that aren't necessarily top down, but they're sort of a bottom up approach. And everybody talks about them using the lingo that yeah. you know, everybody safely uses from the bottom up. <laughs> but, but it's true. Rudy. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's, I think it works. No, but I think it works. I think yeah. you have to slowly build it up. You know, women education is one. Journalism is another. They need local journalists asking tough questions. You also need, you know, encompassing all of that, you do need a stable government. And now how you build it shouldn't come from you. It has to come from local, uh, in Afghanistan, it would be local tribal leaders. And they were trying to build that. Um, but I think everybody realizes what was holding that government together were the troops, the US troops. You know, I think that's an undeniable question is that the second they removed the troops, the Afghanistan commandos and military faded so quickly. I would and have been well, like, I, I mean, I believe this for you, too. If, if we were Afghanis, when that took place, we would have probably been you know, shot just because we're yes. outspoken yeah. in our in our I, beliefs 
I don't think I unfair. I think the would have knocked on your door instead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, right there. No, it would have knocked on yours. There's a, we can't confuse outspoken with este, being out loud, saying things out loud. Um, yeah. But yeah, definitely, yeah. you know, we'd be, we would be goners. And, and to have experienced a certain level of freedom within the confines of oppression and then have it all of a sudden fall because the United States decided they need to get the troops out of there. And I'm not, I'm not advocating one thing or another to be sure. clear, because I don't know enough about this to go deeper than where I read. I, I feel like I'm, I'm deep enough. I can't go deeper. Yeah. It would just be, all be the conjecture on my part. Well, I, I will add the suffering that is going on in Afghanistan, even if you look uh, at the general economy, is really tough because the Taliban have a ton of sanctions on them. Uh, they, there wasn't enough fuel in the winter. There are other the COVID factors that are affecting. You know, the economy, you have to really think about what's happening in Afghanistan is also a product of what's happening globally to every single country around the world economically, right? Everybody is experiencing a surge in inflation. People have money. There are fewer goods coming in because there are fewer goods being made in the factories, like in China, in the United States, because of the COVID lockdowns, right? Mm -hmm. And so the COVID lockdowns locked workers from creating things. So thus, there's a shortage of goods. Mm -hmm. And thus, people who do have a little bit of money are looking for those goods, and those goods aren't on the shelf. Right. So yeah, it was. It's been probably a very difficult year, and now you know China is looking to invest in Afghanistan, and they'll ask even fewer questions than the United States. They just want to influence uh, the Afghan. Oh, China is everywhere. China's and all over African nations. Oh yeah, they, and and the rest of Asia. Why China is has been lending uh, these nations lots of money and also building bridges infrastructure and so these countries are now indebted to yes. china and sri lanka is the one that really you should you should in the future pay attention to the listeners as well mm. is what's going on there i haven't seen a country experience their economic crisis uh like sri lanka has and almost anywhere around the world their their economy was based off agriculture and tourism Mm -hmm. And because of COVID, tourism collapsed from about $4 billion a year to less than half a million dollars. Mm -hmm. And also, ban uh, industrial oh, Dan, agriculture and do all organic farming. Excuse me, you froze. Can you please start with right. Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka's economy? Yeah, okay. So Sri Lanka's e economy was dependent on tourism um, prior to COVID and and farming. And what happened was uh, because of COVID, tourism collapsed. It went from $4 billion annual revenue to less than half a million dollars um, in the COVID years. And then their president decided to get rid of uh, industrial agriculture and do organic agriculture. But it's very complicated to do that move. They didn't do good planning. And so now there's a shortage of food. And so there's fewer jobs because of tourism. Their economy is getting crushed. I mean, people have taken over the presidency. 
and the president had to flee for their lives. The president, the prime minister has to flee. So it is an economic uh, near collapse. People have to wait in line to fill up their, their, their motorcycles or cars because there's a lack of fuel. They don't have money to buy the fuel on the international market. So I just want to put, the, put it out there for people. It's a serious economic crisis, very much like Afghanistan. Es Vaya con Muñoz with Natalia Muñoz. WHMP. Want me to do it again? Yeah, we gotta do it again. Okay, here we go. You gotta start, we gotta start at the top. Hey, Tanisha Arena, how are you? I'm doing all right, Natalia Muñoz. How are you? <laughs> okay, I'm okay. I think, you know, eh, the world is going to a very hot place in a handbasket that's already burning. Eh, what, what, what you got? What do you got? Well, yes, we are already in a very hot place, literally yeah. and figuratively, and it doesn't seem to be getting any better. But I uh, was on Twitter yesterday and I took a screenshot of a tweet that just struck me and this is a quote by Oleyemi Oluren I hope I'm saying that right you can choose to align yourself with your oppressors and help them oppress your community they won't stop you they'll even welcome you but they will not protect you and this goes along with an article called being black and principled in white America that I haven't had the chance to dive into but this was in a thread that was talking about the one black person who just was sentenced uh, for his participation in the insurrection on January 6th, which, eh, you know, all skinfolk and kinfolk, but he just got sentenced to 63 months. And it's the longest sentence thus far of all of the folks who have gone to trial and been sentenced for their participation in January 6th. And to me, I'm like, well, see, that's CRT right there because they've all committed the same crime, but can you say that race doesn't have an impact on the sentencing, even though this was a black judge? Well, there, but uh, there, a black judge, so. This was a black judge. Yeah. <laughs> this is part of the, the madness that we've been living intensely uh, for, well, for, forever. I can't think of a period that hasn't been harsh. But I think if publicly how we've reverted to the before times when it was completely okay to sentence somebody for a more severe punishment because they were black. And mm -hmm. that just happened again. And I think right. that what's happening with these two black men, the, the accused and the judge who sentenced him who's also black, I, I've seen it in my own Puerto Rican community. You know, we, we, we have people who are just as bad as other people mm -hmm. who we do. strike against us because of who we are, not what we did or didn't do. Yep. And how and this keeps, no, I, yeah, the way that like, oh, it, here we go. Ah, ah. <laughs> okay, well, you go. <laughs> it's just, it keeps going. It's like history 
it repeats itself. I mean, oh this is going God. back to John Punch, mm-hmm. um, James Gregory, mm-hmm. and a man named Victor were indentured servants contracted to a Virginia planter. Mm-hmm. They all escaped, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They got caught. They all did the same crime. They escaped. Mm-hmm. When they got sentenced, the two uh, white dudes, one was Dutch, I forget what the other one was, but John Punch was Black. So the two white dudes got three more years added to their time of indentured servitude, and John Punch got life. <laughs> so again, we're not new to this. Well, we no, now, now it's this. not that black people get life. Now they get death. Yeah. And that uh, all the issues raised by Black Lives Matter. It has it changed the country beyond some really awesome murals. Uh, no, you know, there may be a police department here or there that's really progressing and I have to put the Northampton Police Department as one of them. No, what, you're gonna... So we're talking about police departments it hasn't really changed, right? I don't know what you're gonna say about Northampton, but literally right now, there's a police department in, I wanna say, Kinley, North Carolina, where they all quit because they hired a black town manager. And she, <laughs> this was a national pool. She about her business, she's super qualified. And, oh, it's a hostile work environment, all these other things, probably because she coming in there asking questions and cleaning up some stuff. So they all resigned. And they but that, thought, but, but that's excellent. She was going to leave. No, so yeah. they gone. Yeah. And it's like, OK, so that, y'all are gone. And guess what? Now there's an opportunity to really change what policing looks like in this community, because we can hire different mm-hmm. officers. We could do mm-hmm. different things because right. the trash took itself out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I don't know what they thought, but uh, here we are. So she's still on the job and she gets to do some pretty interesting things. I mean, there were folks who were like, she can use those high salaries that are gone to like have hiring bonuses, institute training. Like people forget that black folks have had successful communities and um, kept our, our communities safe. I won't say policed our own communities because policing in this country was always about um black and brown bodies being destroyed with black bodies, right? We were the property that needed to be maintained and like controlled. And in our own communities, the Tulsa's and the Rosewoods and other communities that were destroyed, like there wasn't that kind of intervention taking place. And we can get back to that. So they all quit because the black town manager, you know, and It'll be interesting to see how that unfolds when people say, well, what if we didn't have the cops? Like, well, what would happen? Well, black folks probably wouldn't die. (laughs) We can start with that. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think that all those officers who resigned did the the town a great favor because it's really, really, really hard to fire police officers. And I don't want, you know, I don't want to clump all police officers into one thing saying they're bad because I don't believe that at all. I think they generally speaking these are uh, good people work, working within an antiquated oppressive system um I, yeah like here in northampton where i'm sitting now uh, 
the police chief is really progressive and she's trying mm -hmm. to institute changes. But then it was a city council trying to be politically correct that cut her budget by, I don't know, I don't know what it was. I don't remember the number now. And that was money that was actually going to be used to hire new officers and buy a couple of cruisers that were green, green energy. So you can have really well, you know, intentioned people getting in the way of progress by a police chief. Right. And I remember that. Right. And it was the whole, oh, my gosh, we defunded the police, which that's great. But thinking about what does that actually mean when you talk about slashing the budget? And I'm all for defunding the police and knowing that when we say that it's the reallocation of resources. But what we want to have happen the dinosaur officers who are so set in their ways and used to this way of policing that is harmful mm -hmm. to be gone. Mm -hmm. I've talked to younger officers here in Springfield where I'm at and they say it's the older ones that don't want to go to the trainings around mental health, around racial equity. They're like, I'm not doing that stuff. And police well, that, unions- that should, be, uh, that should be obligatory. Uh, but the them. police unions and however that works, they wind up not. Well, well that's like, the yeah, other the thing. Chief would set the tone. That's the other thing, like, Tanisha. What can you go to? It's, I'm all I'm all pro union, but not with the police union, because the, those unions, as far as I've read throughout history, they protect. They protect. The, they uphold the mayhem. Yeah. 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 It's like, okay, if you want to have one of the biggest unions, the union that has like the most money, when these brutality suits come out and the wrongful death, it should come out of a pension fund, mm -hmm. right? Like what if cops paid into that fund, this is the, we didn't screwed up. We were scared, you know, mm -hmm. shot you in the back 60 times fund, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? If it mm -hmm. came from them, right? Because mm -hmm. literally what's happening like Springfield, I think, just paid out like $345,000. Yeah. It's literally Springfield paid out. Mm -hmm. The taxpayers pay that money. So I live here. So I'm funding a system that would harm me. Right. But that was money that the city council agreed. Like the city agreed to pay out. The, the city council doesn't have the authority to increase those amounts of money. Right. They can only to victims take of police. Yeah. But, but they, what line item they is have, that in the budget? Well, there's like, a thing. They have the a line item. Yeah. Like, yeah. They do. And that's oh. your tax money. They do. Right. So and it's like, they, I don't want to pay for that. I, I, yeah. There was this uh, one of the people who uh, was, you know, uh, received a, uh, a payout by Springfield because of the brutality of a police officer who just, you know, did uh, brutalize them, beat him up, terrorized him, threatened him. And this young person, this young man, okay, he's going to get, I don't know, I don't remember, a hundred grand, something like that. Uh, this is somebody who you just brutalize somebody that who for life is going to have post-traumatic stress disorder. So this is not just a handful of change. This is about, no, he needs millions because he needs to be set up for life. Because what happened to him may very well see itself manifested as he can't keep down a job. Mm -hmm. He 
he can't concentrate. He can't go he to can't school. Live. He, he can't, can't be live. the biologist that he wanted to be, whatever. That was stolen from him by that officer. And that youth received nothing, nothing. But I, but I agree with you that this has to, this money has to stop coming from the taxpayers. This has to come mm -hmm. from the pension fund. So they, they pay into that pension. And so when one of them line item in your paycheck, if you're going to yeah. be a police officer, yeah. there's, I don't know, five, ten dollars a week has to go yeah. to this yeah. fund. And it's a, it could be a national fund by yeah. each city, yeah. town, whatever. But that's a great idea. Why should taxpayers bear the brunt of that? It's like, I'm not paying for that. Yeah. Just like when we show up at city council meetings to say this about lots of things all the time. It's like, I'm not paying for that. Mm. Es Vaya con Muñoz with Natalia Muñoz, WHMP. We're back with Anisha Arena. Yeah, like American whiteness. And this is, you know, I've been having some amazing conversations with friends and colleagues like who do this work from so many different angles, right, and lenses. And it's about how we show up with our identity. And American whiteness doesn't have a color. Right. It's about giving up culture. Right. And you can like the goal at this point is about taking whiteness out of white skin. And that's about that six social agreement. Right. To step into whiteness and it's behaving in these ways and, and doing these things and upholding these kind of values. That's what that is. Right. And you can get jumped into whiteness. Indians, Italians, Latinx folks, you can decide to become white. Rafael Eduardo Cruz mm -hmm. is not white. He's Cuban. Mm -hmm. However, Ted Cruz mm -hmm. is very white. Mm -hmm. Look at his actions. That's code switching right there. Mm -hmm. This happens in our community. So no, it's not a surprise to me that the black judge would give the harshest sentence. He's also a cover for whiteness. Because the racist white folks can say, but see, mm -hmm. Clarence Thomas is the same thing. He is a visual representation of a block to civil rights. He was the anti-civil rights judge. He replaced Thurgood Marshall. Mm -hmm. He was appointed specifically for that. And here is a person who literally, his existence hinges on the interpretation of the court that he has rights as a Black man. Mm -hmm. His marriage is an interracial one, Love and Be Virginia, 1967. He benefited from affirmative action with being accepted into Yale. And yet he has spoken out against affirmative action. He has spoken out against Board v, uh, Brown versus Board of Education. And these are literal policy pieces that would impact his own life, have impacted his own life. But he has taken the jump into whiteness, mm -hmm. like quantum leap. And this is what it looks like. And so why do you, got why do you even know why that do you, too? Like, why do you think he did that? Perceived protections 
elevation. I mean, whiteness is about. He got it. That's the thing. He got, that's, uh -huh. he got what I got he wanted. It. The, yeah. He's yeah. the only Supreme Court judge who didn't get a basic good approval rating before he was confirmed. Like that's, he's the only one. And it's just that he's the only one, but he was appointed for a specific purpose. But explain to me more about this whiteness. So if you take the whiteness out, what happens? Then you can actually have cultural humility. You can look at the ways that you show up because whiteness is a thing that some people can turn it on and off. Because again, it's a thing, like how does this show up when you decide to use it and you can use it for good or you can use it for evil. Mm -hmm. Think of white women. <laughs> There's no process, right, for when they go into Karen behavior. <laughs> this is absurd. And we're, oh my gosh, we're not doing this. And literally everything shuts down. <laughs> Freeze, like nobody, whatever the thing is. Mm -hmm. If the policy is that you must like, let us look in your pocketbook or we got to check this out. Or you got to leave your bag over here at the door. I'm not leaving my bag. Oh, how could you? And they wind up not leaving their bag. That's whiteness. And that's, that's a thing, right? And imagine someone who's not white who has enough social capital to behave in the same ways and actually get away with it. I couldn't get away with it, right? If I said, you ain't searching me, I'm not doing this, whatever, then they gonna call security and all these other kinds of things. Mm -hmm. I know this, mm -hmm. but a white woman? Mm -hmm. ah, no, mm -hmm. that is part of this contract mm -hmm. and the protections afforded to white women and whiteness. And they play a particular role in our society because they have, they bear children and they can cross the racial divide by having biracial children and it throws off everything else. Mm -hmm. Nobody else can do that. They don't have a lot of political power, but they have a lot of cultural power. And these are things that I'm, again, having these conversations and listening to different podcasts. And I'm just like, whoa, like, again, we're not new to this, but we are true to this in ways like it is the women running the movements. And we'll talk about this in civil rights movements. So what the heck do you think is happening on the other side? Who is pre preparing the food for the Klan rally that's happening, you know, at our bar, like later after the barbecue, that would be the white women who's doing the legwork and all of these other kinds of things mm -hmm. who's fussing with the school about what's in the curriculum it was a white parent in florida who was mad about the uh curriculum she got a whole entire law what law was she that no political remind, power. remind us about the don't say gay mm. one parent mm -hmm. one white mom. You can't, yeah the teachers cannot say gay one white mama. I don't have a lot of political power, but I got some cultural power. Yeah. That's dangerous. Yeah. Look at where we are. This is Vaya con Muñoz with Natalia Muñoz. WHMP. This is Vaya con Muñoz with Natalia Muñoz, WHMP. How would you describe where we are? 
we we have just a couple of minutes left we are in a in a space where the veil has been lifted people can see things as they are and we get to decide are we going to learn from the lessons of the past or are we going to do the same thing and then wind up having to do this all over again because we've literally done this on repeat a number of times i'm hopeful that with this awakening there is a shift even though it feels like oh my gosh what is the next thing that they're going to do and like it, it, it feels relentless right now but then there are really cool things like there is a young organizer she is a gen zer um, I can't think of her name right now. Matt Getz went after her, tried to body shame her. She's a, an abortion activist. And don't fool with, don't fool with these kids. They, they will hurt your feelings. Not only did she hurt his feelings, <laughs> she used his name. And the last time I checked on Twitter, the abortion fund that she's a part of had raised $700,000 in three days. Wow. Give Matt Getz his flowers. Okay. So I think that we are in a place where this can literally topple over and we can build something better, right? Like the Biden administration had their build back better plan. Like we can, as a society, build back better. I have hope for, for the young people because they're like, we're not around for this. We're not... Beyonce said, you're not going to break my soul, quit your job, fall in love. They're like, yep, mm -hmm. we're not showing up here for your less than ideal wages. There's not a work. There's not, no, it's not that people don't want to work. They're not going to work in these trash conditions. So we are in a hard, hopeful place. Or is it okay. a hopeful, hard place? So okay. We got, we got. It's, it's hopeful and it's hard and it's hard and it's hopeful. So it's the whole yeah. thing.